here in three, two, one, and here we go. All right, welcome everybody to the Rocket Cast. This is our third episode, and today we're bringing on a investor in crypto uh, and an entrepreneur. Uh, his name is Scott Nixon, and he think he's going to give a lot of good takeaways for us on uh, how he structures his day, uh, how he's gotten into the crypto space, and more specifically, what his taste or flavor is of uh, crypto investments. So really excited to have Scott here. Scott, um, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about your background and who you are for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great to great to be here with you, Nicholas. So I fundamentally, I'm a an engineer, a software engineer, technologist. Uh, I've been an angel investor since about 2015 and, and been in basically investing in crypto since then. Um, I ran a startup for about a decade that was bootstrapped um, and, you know, love doing that. I love entrepreneurship. I love talking about business. Um, I'm a little burnout on the marketing side of things, but uh, um, crypto just love it. it because everything about it it's like i can dig into the tech but i can also get into investing and i would actually say when in 2015 when i before 2015 i would i never really considered myself much of an investor uh, you know just index funds and that those, those types of things and what happened was I when i started paying attention to where i was kind of long-term putting my money um i got really more and more interested um so much so that uh, at the beginning of 21 i just kind of got back into DeFi and just got obsessed. I, I was holding a bunch of angel positions that whole time, um, but it just kind of, you know, just became an obsession where it was like 20 plus hours every week focused on so crypto. For our uh, listeners who might not know better, what, when you say angel positions, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so that means that um, I was making investments in early stage, companies. Uh, everybody that I did investments with had revenue, um, but they were maybe looking for like a series A or like a, like a larger angel round. Yep. Um, and I did most of that investing on AngelList. And uh, yeah, it's just a, just um, fund, early funding allows companies to kind of um, grow, right? Um, and yeah, I'll, give them the money to pay expenses product. and get salaries for early employees. Yeah. And a lot of times this is, you know, like a precursor to them raising larger rounds of capital later on so they can really scale. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, now, typically would you exit some of these after they got that next investment? Were you just there for the early round or would you stick around reinvest or how, how does that work? A, a combination of both. Um, you know, the, angel investing, VC investing is a very illiquid, um, type of investing. And so, you know, your expectation on timeline is a five to 10 years before you're likely to see any kind of a, an exit. Um, and, you know, uh, I did some follow on investments, uh, not many. Um, partly, it, some of that had to do with the opportunity because they have to um, they have to make the opportunity available to like previous rounds of investors. And a lot of that just has to do with deal structuring, a lot of, you know, inside baseball. And I'm, I'm not a, like a, an obsessive, um, I made 15 investments, so I'm hardly like the world's most, um, diverse, uh, angel investor, but, uh, yeah. 
Um, all right. So when it comes to crypto, like what originally got you into uh, crypto? Like, you know, when did you first see it? Uh, what was your first thoughts? And then how'd it go from there? Um, you know, early on, like I, of course, because I'm a technologist, you know, I, I knew a lot of people talking about Bitcoin, but I never really just got that involved in it. Um, and in 2015, I started doing, I actually did make some of my, my angel investments into some crypto companies. And because I, like many people really like this whole idea of investing in the infrastructure of, of these new frontiers, right? It's, um, you know, oftentimes people talk about picks and axes, right? Where it's, you know, in, in the California gold rush, it was the people selling picks and axes and everything else that made mm -hmm. all the money and the gold miners, you know, large variation in results. So, um, yeah. and I, I, while I think it is a interesting way to approach investing, it is still very generic and leaves you really exposed. Um, if you don't understand the whole landscape. And I would say that's an appreciation I have today that was lacking probably in 2015. Like you can't blindly invest into any industry just because like there's going to be a lot of stuff that sounds really good. And oh, and like, you know, I, I would say one of the things that's uh, from the recent market, Peloton, you know, tanked 80 plus percent, right? Right. Yep. And everybody's like, how much farther can it go down, right? And it like has still continues to go down, right? Um, it can go all the way to zero, right? And I mean, I even did a full like evaluation, like I spent the better part of maybe five or eight hours, somewhere in that range, um, evaluating the company to see if it was a worth, worthwhile investment. And I was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna be in a position. So um, just because you like a product and it sounds good and it it's like the industry leader doesn't mean it's a good investment, so. Yeah, well, there's a lot that factors into it. And, you know, I think that's where you kind of sometimes don't have the crossover between um, your standard investors and stocks and options and and your crypto investors who I think are maybe especially some of the ones who like they just got into investing because of crypto. They don't understand like doing your due diligence on a company, uh, looking into its, its financials, its balance sheets, and, and seeing you know how much cash is on the books, uh, what underlying assets might they own, what's their expenses, and instead it's just hey, this coin looks great, they have an awesome logo, I like the white paper, here's a thousand dollars, which I think is what we need to get more of in the crypto space. But it's also yeah. hard to access the, that type of financials. Yeah. Um, with because there's no requirement. Yeah, exactly. Unless they're choosing to put those out on their own, there's nowhere for you to go to find that. Yeah. You could like look on chain and see like, you know, are they doing what they're saying, what they're doing with their token? And then you got to like hunt around for wallet addresses for the project and then look and see what they're doing. Right. You're right. Um, so. And there's people who go out there and do those things. And a lot of times that's what exposes a project or, um, makes it a little bit more, uh, reliable but it's hard to, to consistently do that yourself unless yeah. you have a ton of time. One of the biggest crypto projects out there, Urine Finance, they have a, they've got a great dashboard that breaks down where they spend all of their money, but I was looking at it yesterday and they still don't have their May numbers in there at all. Like there's just like a few, there's like $50,000 of expenses, right? And it's like, it's, you know, it's the 6th of June, right? It, you would think they would be adding things as over the month or whatever, right? But, uh, right. Yeah. So. 
Um, so another thing that I thought was interesting was uh, you talked about how um, you started off doing like security and, you know, you were an engineer. Um, how do you think that has translated towards like giving you an edge as an investor or looking at different projects or anything along those lines? I mean, I think the, the edge that it gives me is that I, once I understand how the smart contracts work and addresses work and multi-sigs work, once you understand some of these basic foundational ways to keep yourself secure, like I am more comfortable with that. And I can imagine that non um, technical people, it's a much harder road to climb. I, one of the things that I always hear people say is, you know, I've, I've got my Bitcoin in cold storage and it's like, no, 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 no. You have your private key in cold storage. There is actually nothing but a private key on that wallet sitting at whatever bank or wherever it is. Right. There's yeah. no Bitcoin on that. The Bitcoin exists in the database in the blockchain. Right. Right. Um, and so other advantages, I actually have the ability to read smart contracts because I'm a software engineer. Mm -hmm. Granted, this is not a language that I am very skilled at at this point but I have the ability to kind of follow functions and look at things and have some sense of what's going on. Um, you know, and I, and I intend to get better at that over time. I mean, the, um, I don't know, I think to some extent, like, you know, um, the technical stuff is more optional in crypto. Um, but it, it makes it easier for me to go find information, right? Like it makes it easier for me to realize that, um, I can go do actually on-chain analysis. So those are definitely advantages I get. It's just that stuff is very deep in the weeds that, you know, I just would not expect 99% of all investors to, right. to go down. So, of course. Um, so right now, what is some of the, the top projects that you're most interested in that you're following? Uh, what do you see, you know, developing? Um, I, I will be brief about this, but I'm, my biggest investment is around Curve and Convex. And so I own both the Curve, uh, the Convex token, and I own locked Curve tokens that are locked on Convex. And um, a lot of that has to do with just how bullish I am on the future of crypto. Um, I think, um, so Curve Finance is basically, it started focused on stable coins and so they would build, they built, they're focused on building deep liquidity on stable coins. And the reason that those, that deep liquidity is important is because if you want to do a transaction over a hundred thousand dollars, you need to do it in deep liquidity because otherwise the slippage is going to be so bad that you're going to lose lots of money. And so it is on the regular, you will see 1 million, 5 million, $10 million swaps on that platform. And then that, that fee pays out to back to the, the token holders. Um, and so, and I think, you know, as crypto grows, this is a, in my opinion, I think this is like a 20 year investment because it's, it's going to be this platform where you're going to be able to get consistent cash flow. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, there's also this other mechanic and I, and I'm going to like end it at this because I can go like, literally this is in like a four hour topic all on its own. If you're oh, really absolutely. <laughs> but the um, one of the most amazing things about using something like Curve is that, um, or, or using convex, staking the Curve token on convex, 
is that you essentially also earn like 13% more of the curve token. So if you compound that, like your position can get like really large over time and it just increases your stake and your ability to earn um, more stable coins over time. Um, and, you know, I just think it's, it's something that just doesn't exist out in the traditional market that only exists in crypto. Right. And while other projects are giving you admissions of their token, a lot of times these tokens don't have that same mechanism to like um, s keep compounding and then continue to earn more of the stable coins. Right. So, uh, so what kind of uh, without getting too complex, like what kind of returns are you getting in that curve investment currently? So the, the stable coin um, return is somewhere between, we'll just say 4% and 10% APR. Okay. The, on top of that, so with Convex, you earn three assets. Um, so you earn, like, the, like I said, the stable coins, 4 to 10%. The, you'll earn 10 to 14% of in curve tokens. And then you'll earn, I don't know, 15 to 25% in the CVX token. And the reason I give these, these broad ranges, a lot has to do with just the, whatever the price of these tokens are uh, drastically affects what the APR is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those, the CV, those CVX emissions are actually reducing over time. So, um, but mm -hmm. I, I would expect the, um, this, the, the dollars that you earn and the curve tokens that you earn to actually stay somewhat consistent over time. Okay. Um, and they, the curve token might decline slightly over time, but um, if the, as long as the value over say like a five-year time horizon of the curve token continues to increase, that APR will, will stay relevant, I think. So. Well, that's good. And right now, um, how long are you locking these funds up for? Is it a month at a time? Is it six month, year? Well, so if you go directly on Curve, it, you have that one week to four year lock horizon. When you do that, when you lock tokens on Convex, you're actually, um, you're just locking them permanently and they give you back what is essentially just a derivative. Uh, and it's called the CVX CRV token. And that is just a representation of the curve token. And you can, so it's liquid. You, so you stake that token and you earn your fees. But if you want to sell it, you unstake it and then you just go sell it. Um, and they main, maintain pretty good pools that allow you to go back. Um, and so that pool is usually within two to 6%. So you're gonna pay, um, you're going to pay a, um, or you're not going to pay, you're going to lose say two per six, two to 6% of that swap value relative to the curve token. Okay. So I know that can be a little bit of a crazy mental model to kind of imagine, but um, that is because they should be somewhat relatively the same. Um, uh, but uh, you know, market forces and that, that peg has held up really strong for like a year. Right. Um, not, some people might be like, oh my God, I'm gonna lose 5%. But I actually think if you're trying to get out, I think it's not a bad uh, loss, so to speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, outside of that, is, what other uh, are some of your other top um, projects that yeah. you're looking forward to over the next maybe two to five year window? Um, you know, I from a a usability perspective, I really like the improvement of the isolated lending platforms, silo finance, oiler finance, 
um, Rari, but Rari's had a bunch of exploits, so that it kind of looks a little scary. But you know, there's no reason these other platforms can't get exploited. And I like those mostly just because it allows the isolated lending pools. And um, but that's also like. Uh, so is liquidity pools one of your top top plays at the moment? So when when I say I like those platforms as a from a like an optionality perspective, so like I think, you know. Um, those are, are good places to like, if you want to like, you know, like if, if in a market, in a bull market, maybe you go back to, you know, 50%, hundred percent stable coins. Mm-hmm. I like going back into those secure environments. And then maybe you borrow against, you know, you know, maybe you have a hundred thousand dollars in stables locked and then you can borrow against it. Right. And the APR on those things oftentimes can be really, really low. Um, and sometimes, and, and I actually borrow against my ETH and BTC to buy more curve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, this is a strategy I do now, right? Um, but now there's some other like UX, UI improvements. And I, I, those aren't necessarily like places to find great investments. It's just optionality, right? It's it's things that that um, allow you to magnify your, your, um, your opportunities, right? Um, like I do not hold BTC on on the Bitcoin chain. I hold wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum because I want to be able to use that asset, right? I mean, there's a lot of ways you can stake that on um, Badger, DAO, and and those kinds of things, and and get out optionality there and return. And so um, I, I like assets that work, not just assets that I just hold and they don't do anything. So yeah, you're looking for some sort of utility with every purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, as far as the, what I think is exciting for the next 12 months of crypto, I think the options markets are getting really interesting and may, maybe, maybe the better is like options slash derivatives. Um, mm-hmm. there's, um, GMX, um, is really interesting project that's on Arbitrum and, I forget what other pro- like so the so GMX and Dopex are two of my most interesting plays um, around. So Dopex is an options platform, so you can you can buy and sell calls, you can buy right. and sell puts. Um, they recently released an interest rate vaults uh, f- that you can do against Curve, so you can literally bet against what the rate of the interest rate um will be That's on curve quite speculative well and it, what it does is it a lot if you because there's a lot of curve holders right it allows people to like protect their downside mm. by betting against the rates right okay. um and so option markets are like really important part of like ha- having a, a healthy investment environment because it allows Absolutely. people to manage risk yeah um there's a lot of other option stuff there's a lot of stuff that's like futures and um there's a lot of managed option platforms but i I, like i don't even want to like almost recommend some of these things because they're so new and like their results are it's but i think these are areas to watch right The, the so convex is this kind of like amazing yield aggregator so to speak 
that works that it's focused primarily on curve they're actually expanding to work with frax right now but we're seeing on all these other chains including on that people are building um i'll just mention it. so it's called plutus dow plutus dow is basically building it's basically going to be convex for like dopex and jones dow and mm-hmm. what essentially it does is it's going to do the same thing that convex is doing where it gives you that optionality that if you want to exit your position you can um and you know that's it's a huge it's a hugely important um thing for basically getting liquidity because if you look at like what the lock rates were on curve before convex came on the scene and then what it's looked like since you can very much see that like it is like supercharged the excitement and ecosystem or you know and people i don't know it's there's just a lot of like great benefits to kind of having multiple projects that are kind of working together but they're kind of solve solving problems differently right each yeah each kind of specializing in how they're getting to the end yeah. result yeah um one thing i wanted to touch on was you know you're in the process of uh starting a new fund correct correct yeah so yeah. um how did you get into the fun world originally and um like what kind of like opened your eyes to that yeah um i've been a fun investor since 2015, um, I've done um, kind of like a VC fund, um, but I've also done real estate funds and debt funds. Um, so I was Did already you at a certain there. level where you were like, "Hey, I got this money to play with. How am I gonna make this money work for me? This seems yeah. like a really good idea." Yeah, and and for me, like I, everybody in my family is in real estate, but I pretty much don't like real estate at all in the <laughs> sense as, as an investor or, you know, like, I don't like renovating houses. I, you know, yeah, I don't like being a handyman. Um, and, but, you know, I can get exposure to the long-term stability and optionality of the real estate market through funds. Um, you know, I, and I actually, funds are a way to somewhat diversify your money, right? Because they're going to spread your, assuming they're doing their best, (laughs) they're doing all the things they should be doing. They're going to diversify your money across a bunch of different projects. And so, and I even had early in my investment in the real estate fund, um, there was a default on four, four different units or whatever doors. And, um, and eventually two years later, we actually got made whole for, for that kind of hit that the net asset value of the fund took. But, um, uh, you know, it was, it, it softened the blow across the fund. Yeah. So, um, and it wasn't like the asset like was ins- completely insolvent. It was just one of those things where like this fund was meant to be like, you know, we give you money for nine months, then we get that money back. And what happened right. was they had to start renting these units out and then they had to wait till the market got better and then they could sell the units and that kind of stuff. So, well, those are the uh, risks you take on, yeah, you know, doing something along the lines of putting, investing into a fund, doing a VC, yeah. uh, doing a series A. I mean, they, they can be speculative investments uh, to a degree. Yeah. And when I, when I started my business in 2010, um, you know, my knowledge of all of these complex financial machinations that are out there was, was pretty limited. 
But fast forward to a year ago, um, I now know, you know, a hundred people that have like built businesses and then sold businesses. Right. And so I know, I'll just, I just know so much more. And I think that that's a lot of it. It's just the pure exposure to this space. Um, it gave me a lot more understanding of what is a fund. How does it right. work? Like, I didn't need a lot of like handholding on like why, a fund has advantages and all that stuff. I kind of knew all of these things. And really what it comes down to is I started looking at managing friends and family money in crypto. Mm -hmm. And I still don't actually manage any family, but I started looking at what it would take. And um, the best way to protect yourself and your LPs, your uh, limited partners, right, um, is to do it inside a fund, right? And you can... You know, you, you specify in your docs how it's going to work and how everybody's incentivized. And it's really, really clear, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't want to like, you know, th there's a lot of risks in crypto. And so there's it's it's good to have a vehicle where you as the general partner have control over what happens and yep. they're trusting you to, to manage things properly, because, you know, if you if you're just managing a friend's money, like, and you have what happened, you know, in the last six months, you know, they might want, want to sell at the bottom and it's like the absolute worst thing in the world for them, but right. it's, it's the absolute wrong play. And it's, um, you know, well, we kind of hit that point where like, I mean, I don't know if we've fully experienced it, but a lot of people are really close to max pain in the crypto yeah. markets. Uh, it's a lot of people have been brought down to their knees. And I think uh, most recently the Luna collapse, like saw a lot of pain in the market. Uh, and I, yeah. those are things that I, I've read a few articles on this as well Is like, not only do you look for price down, right? Which were over 50% down in Bitcoin. Uh, most alternate altcoins are down way more than 50%. Mm -hmm. um, so I look for that, right? I look for price being down significantly. Um, you look for general, um, it's like slowing of adoption almost too, where I remember six months ago, every other day, there's a new article about, you know, uh, Coca-Cola is going to use this or PayPal is now using this. And everyone's every single day, Chipotle is going to accept, you know, payment in Bitcoin. And like, now it's like, okay, maybe you hear one a week. And then last thing I look for is actual detriment, like some, like a big event, which for me was the Luna collapse where you mm -hmm. see like max pain experienced, uh, gives people total doubt in the crypto community. Why are we even here? I was nuts thinking that I could get 20% for my money for doing nothing. And, you know, I think that's, that's where my signs point to like, I think we've experienced max pain or at least very close. Um, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Um, I, it, it might be more of a tangent to what you were thinking, what you made me think about. So I, I'm a huge fan of Nicholas Nassim Taleb, uh, author of The Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, a bunch of different stuff. Um, he's like a very experienced options trader. And, you know, so he really sees the world through optionality and, you know, like tail hedge events, right? Fat tails, right? These, you know, things like, COVID and 9-11 and the 2008, um, we don't really know that they're going to happen, or maybe there's like a handful of people that know that some of that stuff's going to happen, but, yeah. um, 
and um oh i kind of lost my my train i thought where i was going with this oh um the i i was i've never actually used the luna terra terra luna uh, blockchain at all i've never held any of those assets um but i you know i liked what they were doing and i was like okay this looks interesting i you know i, I um you know I, what i am i'm less shocked that we had a stable coin collapse but i am definitely shocked that it took the terror network down like it literally imploded that that blockchain 60 and, million dollars gone and you know it's very clear that like uh, and so okay so the reason i brought up taleb was he talks a lot about uh, like um you know when you keep organizations small and you isolate them um it like reduces the systematic risk right and it's very clear had they not built a stable coin um that was directly attached to their platform like they could have maybe survived like the the blockchain could have survived even if like the um the stable coin didn't right um but because the backing you well, know because yeah because it was algorithmic it it opened the door for well, what to happen, it, happen and it was just a back like the primary way to back the asset was the platform token and it like they, mm -hmm. if they would have backed the asset with Bitcoin and Ethereum and other stable coins, it probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Um, so um, that's something that um, I will continue to like look for. In, in, and it's one of the reasons why I like these like decoupled projects, right? It's like, you know, like um, if this was like a giant corporation, you know, if this was Facebook building curve and convex and stuff they it would all be the same project and they would all they would all be the same tokens and they would all be like massively intertwined and um you know and um you know so it, this this kind of separation and this compose of this native composability um to blockchains um you know is really really cool um but mm -hmm. i think it's something that i'm going to be looking more and more at um, I, I mean, one of the reasons why I, um, and this happened, this, my focus on Ethereum and Ethereum blockchains really goes back to last fall. Um, and it was, you know, I've done, I've done transactions on Phantom, Binance Smart Chain, Polygon, ZK Sync, Arbitrum, a bunch of different stuff. But one of the problems is all these alternative layer ones. Um, a lot of them, at least six months ago, had no direct, no direct bridge. Like you couldn't go from Coinbase to Phantom, right? Or mm -hmm. um, I, you know, like one of the advantages of FTX is you should be, that you can go directly to Solana, right? And yep. I think that is a really important thing to keep in mind whenever you're going to go use these networks. Can you directly bridge? Because if you can direct go directly then that means that that centralized exchange is more likely to honor your ability to exit, right? And I think Vitalik has been beating the drum for many years that, that bridges are a very dangerous thing. And, and I think, you know, I use them, but we have to, we have to respect the idea that like um, they introduce a lot of systematic risk. Now what happens on the Ethereum blockchain with Arbitrum and Optimism 
um, and ZK Sync is you will always be able to do like an L1 trans, uh, like a, a native Ethereum transaction to set resettle your assets back onto Ethereum. Um, and you can't do that. Like if you're trying to bring assets from Phantom back to Ethereum, you can't do that, right? Right. Yeah. If the bridges are all broken and whatever, right? So, um, you know, like we know that like, I mean, I know that there's been, I think it's almost $2 billion in assets stolen from bridges in the last year or something like that. I mean, it's it's pretty insane. So well, those um, breakdown, I think if it wasn't yesterday, it was a couple of days ago and we're talking on uh, the six here uh, where Bored Ape and uh, their NFT collection, I want to say it was like 50 ETH were stolen. It, it might've been more um, right it's off the platform. 28 or something like that. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we're talking a good lump sum of money to just yeah. disappear. And I think though, you know, especially as an investor myself, uh, on a project that I, you know, gave a good look up and down and considered, I mean, that, that definitely concerns me to think that people are just snagging this stuff up. And we just had um, the, one of the former directors of OpenSea just got uh, investigated and I think he got subpoenaed. So there's definitely, you know, some, yeah, he, he was he was using insider knowledge to to pre-purchase NFTs, and and I, I mean I, I I like I remember on Twitter when it happened, right? Whenever people started exposing him, like he yeah. he was making like lots of money, like tens of thousands of dollars or more, um, you know, weekly or something like that. So, and this is where like you know some regulation could you know potentially bring forth. Uh, and we talked about this on one of my last episodes, like just a more mainstream uh, adoption of crypto. Uh, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people got into crypto because they don't like regulation and they want to be decentralized, which I totally get and I'm for. But I think there is, you, even in economics, you learn that uh, there's really no such thing as a free market, right? Like a true free market needs regulation or else you're going to have monopolies, i.e. Amazon. Um and so in crypto, we kind of going to have to have some sort of regulation to allow a free market to sustain itself in the crypto industry. At least that's what I what I think. Um, it's just making sure and mitigating that the right people get into those positions, the right organizations, so that we don't kind of end up where we are now with mass inflation, not as much economic goods as we need. I mean, America can't even get enough baby formula for its kids and families. Um, you know, those are, those are things I think that happen when you have the wrong people pulling the strings. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, there's trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines because we have no, um, they have no coverage, you know, to start, you know, investing in Bitcoin and moving on chain and those types of things. Um, and it's, you know, it, it'll be interesting because, um, you know, how likely is JP Morgan going to want to put a billion dollars into curve? I don't know. Like, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I guess with the, I was just saying, I'm making a lot of assumptions that like, eventually we're going to have all this money flow into these chains and they're going to start using these existing projects and it will, you know, rise all, you yeah, know, the all early and early adopters will, will, you know, just make money off purely off that. But yeah, as you kind of hinted at, there's always the chance that that doesn't happen. Totally. Um, yeah. And I, I think we need, 
regulation. I just think that um, I'm very concerned that it's going to take forever and they're not going to do it right. And there's going to be all these problems. And, you know, I literally stood up at uh, DeFi Conf in New York in December and there was a panel of like all these guys work that work for representatives up there. And I said, I said, and they, they were, they were, they were pretty well, pretty knowledgeable. So I, I felt good at least for that small five or six guys that are people that were on stage. But, um, but I was like, listen, like you guys can only exclude us from, from taking advantage of these opportunities. Like you, that's all you're doing. Like we can take advantage of them now, whether it's legal or not is a whole nother thing. But like, mm-hmm. if you guys get this stuff wrong, get the regulations wrong, you're just going to exclude American citizens from legally participating in this stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, I think the rate of adoption is actually starting to become a little bit faster in foreign markets. And I think there's more of a demand for it. And a lot of it probably stems from the fact that their currencies aren't the U S dollar. Right. So there's more opportunity there. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of them, the adoption speeds becoming faster, you know, where they're saying like, let's do it. You know, I mean, El Salvador was ready to just start offering um, Bitcoin backed bonds. I believe they just, you know, just decided not to after last weekend, but just the thought out there of, of, of doing that, I think is that is yeah. what you know, we need yeah. in the industry. Yeah. I, I would advocate that they, and I, I'm sure nobody's ever going to hear this, but like, I mean, I mean, like nobody at a level that it would matter, but like, I think that they need to come up with a new classification um, because trying to call everything in crypto security or commodity or whatever. Right. I just think it's, it's the wrong mental model for it. I hmm. think that um, there's all this like weird stuff that we can do with this programmable money that doesn't really exist in the traditional market at least is you know maybe deep in the bowels of finance that i don't know um um, but there's so when you lock up a token for four years um what does that look more like it it pays you like a coupon but it's a variable variable rate coupon what does that look like and a coupon is i'm kind of like leading i'm kind of like seeding my idea but it looks like more like a bond right it looks more like a debt instrument I go out into the public market, I buy a thousand dollars of some token and then I lock it for a year and, and you're going to pay me a coupon. And at the end of that four years, I get my tokens back and then I could sell them. What does that look like? That looks like a bond. And, and, um, so like, wait a minute, it's a security until I then lock it or, well, I I don't know. It's like, I don't know. A security in general is this idea that like, you're going to make money from it and it's, um, investing in an enterprise, right? So I, I get that from the definition. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're hinting at, which is I think is that it has the potential to take on a lot of different forms depending on how it's used. Exactly. Right. In one sense, it's a commodity. In another sense, it's a security. In another sense, it's a bond. All at the well, same time. And that's that's my point. Is that like at one point, like this asset is a commodity. At one point, it's a security. At one point, right. it's or a an equity like instrument, I should say, not a security because the equity is the more, and then other times like it's a bond. And, and, and I just, I'm like, you're not like, I don't think that they're going to have this. I'm worried that they're not going to have this level of sophistication in the discussion and in the regulations. So, right. 
Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so I wanted to kind of hit on something else that we talk about here on the Rockcast. Uh, so, you know, part of this is getting people to uh, realize the importance of having good balance in their life between wealth and their health, um, which includes things like, you know, a daily routine, exercising. So take me through like, you know, uh, Scott Nixon trying to get his his fund off the ground and What's a well, like? What's a typical day look like for yourself? Like, how are you prioritizing your time, your health, uh, so that you can, you know, be optimized and and, and function yeah. at your highest capacity? Yeah, I mean, I um, I I, I like to mountain bike, um, so that's really important to me. And I walk my dogs every night. Um, and but I am somebody who is ADHD. And so whenever I get into stuff, I like kind of rabbit hole, like I have a really hard time time blocking because like, and especially the nature of a lot of my work, it's hard for me to like, if I'm in the middle of a problem, the last thing I want to do is switch tasks. Right. Um, and I don't know, there's just something to my nature that, that makes that really challenging. Um, but I, I'm thankful for having a wife that like, you know, makes me you know, eat dinner at five o'clock every night. And then I walk the dogs and then maybe I come back and I work a little bit, but, um, you know, like I, you know, I'm 43 years old. I have experienced the, um, downsides of like sitting too much and neglecting my, my overall health. Like I, I did this whole thing where like I've standing and sitting and, you know, trying sitting on different things and, um, And I have like just massively tight hamstrings. And so it's, it's, and I have like shoulder issues because I'm a side sleeper and all these like weird things. Right. But it's like so important that I like at least take some time. And the way I do that is I like literally have my like little dumbbells sitting right next to me so that like, if I stand up and I see him, I just like do like a set of like rows or curls. I love that. I'm like really bad about like setting aside an hour. And part of that is I need to like, I actually think I'm going to build a home gym and I want to start squatting and stuff. And it's just, um, I don't know, there's a lot of things going on. And I'm always like, sh- I'm bad about shuffling my priorities, but um, I'm, I'm, I love yoga mostly because I'm tight and it like really helps me um, uh, balance things out. Yin yoga for me is like the best way to like fix all my tightness. You know, I have right. uh, my QLs are really tight. And, um, you know, and there's, there's a, there's, it's funny, there's some YouTubers, Bob and Brad that do some really, um, great, like, it's almost like occupational therapy stuff where they're telling you how to like sleep with pillows and like how to like stretch certain things out in a healthy way. And I I like that it's coming from two guys that are like credentialed versus, you know, some guy teach me how to lift weights. Right. But, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, uh, no, 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 no problem with that. But, um, I'm a, um, I try to eat a lot of kale. I'm, I'm a vegan vegetarian mostly. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a dedicated vegetarian. I just am a little, little, little occasionally get off the vegan thing. Um, right. but, um, for me, diet is really important and I'm actually wearing, um, a, um, continuous glucose monitor. Um, that has been really helpful. Um, in the sense that like, are you a diabetic or just to keep track of your blood sugars? No. Um, I am a carbaholic. And so (laughs) I love, like, I, I literally would be like tofu and rice. 
And like, that would be my lunch, right? But like, if you look at what it does to my blood sugar, it just, just blows it way up because it's yeah. so much carbohydrates. Um, and I, so wearing the continuous glucose monitor is a good way for me to like go, oh, um, you know, um, you know, it needs to be more balanced. And so I'm actually eating a lot of um, like keto, like keto, like so keto breads, keto cookies, keto cereal, because I can still have some of what I, I want, but like it, um, it doesn't affect my blood sugar and it's more balanced, right? It's, there's way less carbohydrates. There's like monk fruit in there and it's, right. you know, so it's, yeah, it's just a better choice. Um, and I had no idea that it was, my blood sugar was doing this crazy stuff. And it's, um, you know, there's this, um, high, high blood sugar is, you know, not something that's easy to understand. Right. But I've also, it's also helped me identify when my, um, when I've dipped too low. Right. And I'm like, it doesn't have, it happens when I exercise, but, um, that, that has been really interesting and I'm still trying to adapt and work through how, how that stuff works. Um, but believe it or not, just wearing the glucose monitor and I have changed my diet a little bit, but I'm not, not a lot. Um, it's, I've already actually lost a few pounds. And I mean, this is one of the reasons why these things are so popular now is a lot of people are using them to diet just because like when your glucose is really high, you're way more likely to pack on weight. Um, and, uh, well, and I mean, so my background, I mean, it's all about for, for mostly what I do, it's about timing your glucose spikes around times that you're going to be active. Right. And the problem with most of America, uh, or at least people that are going to be listening to this is a lot of us wake up and want to spike our glucose, right? You want to have a slice of toast and, you know, you're having orange juice in a lot of places, uh, pancakes or French toast or whatever it is. That's what's a lot of times offered, even oatmeal. Uh, And there's, you know, syrup thrown on it and you're spiking your glucose. And what are you doing? In your case, you're going and sitting right at the computer and you're getting right to work. Yep. Where is the need for all that carbohydrates? Where is the need yeah. for your blood sugar to be so high versus, uh, you know, if, if usually maybe after this call is your downtime where you do get a few sets of rows in, you take the dog yeah. for a brisk walk, then it's okay to spike the glucose, um, cause it's being yeah. used. And I think that's a huge issue too, that people don't really coincide is carbs aren't necessarily the enemy. It's being active around the times that you're ingesting these yeah. foods so that they're actually being used. Um, which I think is maybe a good thing that can come from someone at least being more conscious of their blood sugars. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody affects, I mean, this is, this is the puzzle that I think, um, is not obvious for a lot of people is that we actually don't know how our body reacts to everything. And that's why, like for some people, they can eat a ton of stuff and it won't do anything to them and others it will, you know, like I can eat, um, you know, hot sauce mixed in certain ways. But if I just put it on, like, I don't know, like chips and salsa, like it just destroys me, man. So I mean, right. it, we have to just lean into the fact that everybody has to figure some of this stuff out for themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, kind of the segue and maybe bring things all full circle here, you know, yeah. just like investing, like there's a, a different flavor of investing for everyone. And a lot of it's trial and error. Like, do I have yeah. the time to be a chart monkey today? And, you know, watch the charts for six hours and do some, you know, enter a trade here, exit a trade here, enter a trade here, exit a trade here. Oh, alert, oh, yeah. alert. Or am I going to park my money with Scott and he's going to, you know, 
take care of it for me and I just need to hop on a, a call once a month and just check in on what projects we're doing. Or, you know, maybe I'm a swing trader. You know, there's different ways of, of that. And it's the same yeah. thing with your diet and exercise. Try some different ones. See how they make you feel. Like, do you, you know, and give it a month. Give it two months. Like, yeah. do you feel like you have more energy? Are you sleeping better? Are you building muscle? Uh, I don't think people do that enough and they expect to just, like you said, go find some YouTube guru that's going to answer all their problems that are very specific to their body and um, their genetics. And that's simply not the case. I mean, I've gotten to where I have uh, physically by just by being my own test subject, you know, try something out for six months. Does it work? How do I feel? All right, great. You know, keep this, get rid of that. And I think that's ultimately how people are going to get get the best results over time. Yeah. And it's funny because like there's some counterintuitive stuff out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people have been doing a lot of intermittent fasting in the last 10, 15 years. Right. But yep. there's some evidence that there are some people that when they intermittent fast, they just gain weight. Right. So like, you got to be open to the idea that it, it's not going to work for you the way it does for everybody else. So. Absolutely. Um, All right, Scott. Well, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the Rocket Cast. Um, I think we have some great takeaways for listeners to uh, to, to yeah. listen about and, and do some research on. Um, you know, before we wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to hit on? No, I I, I would say that um, from an investing standpoint, um, I believe very much in high conviction investments. But I also think you need to balance that with strong mental models and looking at your own biases. You know, like how, like, are you making this investment because you're like super excited? And this is why I like the idea that you start out really small with any investment that you go in a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, whatever you consider small, and mm-hmm. you start with that small thing, and then you learn over time, and you maybe add to it. I just think it's, um, uh, you know, like I just, I think you really need to have deep, deep understanding of investments before you make it. Um, otherwise, um, it's, you know, I don't know it. If you really want good results, just it's. I think think that's a beautiful, um, a beautiful point is like being able to separate yourself from your emotions. And sometimes that comes in the form of just reducing your overall position size. So that way you don't feel so connected to the idea, the project, and you can have maybe more of an objective view of it. Yeah. Spaced repetition, you know, it's like working out, right. It's like space this stuff out and it like, you get a little better sense of how it really affects you. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at um, uh, crypto cash flow or sky Skyliner capital is the name of my fund. Um, okay. But yeah, that's uh, looking forward to getting that launched here in the fall. And uh, you know, it's great, great meeting with you and talking to you today. Yeah. We'd love to have you back once the fund is up and running and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about, uh, we'll keep it off the proprietary stuff, but we can talk a little bit more yeah. about, you know, uh, how it's gone, how the, you know, how you've really developed what you're doing and, and kind of yeah. the steps you've taken since I think that'd be great to follow up on. Yeah. Awesome. Great, great chatting with you today. That's going to do it. Rocky casters. Be sure to share this one out with your friends, family members who all want to be healthier, wealthier. Uh, myself and Scott, I think provided a lot of good stuff for you to think about chew on Remember, this is not financial advice. It is purely educational. Uh, So keep that in mind when you are making decisions. Uh, You can share this out via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. You can check out my TikTok at Rudamancap 
or my Instagram at Ruda. That's R-U-U-D-D-D-A-A-A-A underscore. Something like that. You'll find me there. All right. Peace out.